Uh, for those who are with us regularly, you'll know we're in a series looking at Paul's letter to that church at Ephesus, which is a really special relationship. Paul spends a lot of time with that group. In fact, the longest period he spends, over two years, he spends in Ephesus teaching, encouraging, standing beside them. There's a very deep relationship between Paul and these people. And it's like this is the fatherly advice from Paul to this group of people. You know, I've been thinking about that just this week. I don't know if you watch it or not, but I really enjoy Ando's uh, Brush With Fame. Did you catch this week? He had Jack, Jack Thompson was the, uh, was the profile. Now, Jack Thompson, that's not his birth name, in fact. Jack was adopted at five by the Thompsons, but took their name. And Jack was there talking about his journey, you know, this iconic Australian actor who in some ways epitomises Australian maleness in a way, or that type of Australian maleness anyway, that sort of Celtic Anglo-Australian male, man from Snowy River, Breaker Morant, you know, those great sort of iconic Australian movies. Well, as, as Arne's talking to, to Jack Thompson, Jack talks about his early career and the fact that he's a very good student, in fact, doing science, pure maths, in, in Queensland, at Queensland University. And he said, this day he's travelling with his, uh, with his father, with his adoptive father. This is one of those conversations, you know, I'm in the back seat, there's dad driving, look at me in the rear vision mirror. And we've all had those moments of those sort of significant conversations where we're not actually looking at each other, but we're in the car together. And he says, mate, what do you, what do you think you're doing in terms of your career? You know, you're enjoying the science. And he, Jack says, well, I am, but you know what? I really enjoy the drama. He got involved in the university drama club and doing other sorts of things. And his father said to him, well, you know, mate, you need to follow your dream. In fact, uh, his father quoted a Shakespearean sonnet, but the sense of it was, don't be in a place that isn't right for you. A stinking lily, he said, smells worse than the most smelly garbage. Well, that's a rough transliteration of what Shakespeare said, but the essence was that. And Jack said that really gave him permission to explore acting. Now, he said he went for 38 auditions before he got his first part, so along that way he wondered about the wisdom of that, but of course subsequently became a great Australian actor. Wisdom of fathers, that wisdom that I wonder, as I say that, what comes to, you, to your mind as you think about maybe a pearl from your dad, from your father, maybe your grandfather, or a significant male in your world. Here's one moment to just remind ourselves of the value. What would you say? I was interested to read a few in preparing for this for today. Uh, Michelle Obama, she says, the words that guide me from my father, these words, do what you say you're gonna do, be honest and true, and treat people with dignity and respect. Bob Hawke, commenting on the influence of his father, Clem, who was a congregational minister, he taught me, Bob said, that belief in the fatherhood of God necessarily involves belief in the brotherhood of man. Michelle Payne, that Australian jockey, the first female jockey to win the Melbourne Cup, had a significant fall. And in that process of healing from that, she said she was going to quit. And her father, Paddy, who was the greatest champion, he said to her, don't panic. You have plenty of time to think about this. And she did, and she went on, and she won the Melbourne Cup. The value of comments, advice into our lives. My dad, when Marilyn and I infirmed that we were going to get married, said to me, Keith, what you need to do, you, need Marilyn, you and Marilyn need to get as far away from your parents as you can and go and establish your own relationship. 
I don't remember much else Dad said over the years, but I distinctly remember that one. And it was very wise uh, for us as a couple to do that. Of course, a lot of that depends on trust, doesn't it? Uh, do I trust that advice? Uh, is the person giving me the advice trustworthy? And today in our current world, in the kind of world that you're and I are part of with fake news and real news and other news and goodness knows what sort of news, you sort of wonder, well, who can I trust? My uncle Ronnie discovered that one day. We were out as a family. We were on a, a Churros Lake, actually, down on the south coast on a big family holiday, a great bunch of us. We'd gone out in this little tinny. There were probably about five or six of us in it, mainly little kids with my grandfather, Pop, and my uncle Ronnie. Anyway, we came into the shore, and Pop says to Ronnie, Ronnie, jump out, mate, and tie up the boat, will you? Well, Ronnie jumped out and disappeared. When he finally resurfaced, <laughs> Pop said to him, well, son, be careful who you trust. Now, I don't know to this day whether Pop knew that was really deep there or not, or whether he was just very quick, and when Ronnie resurfaced, thought I'd better try and recover something out of this and said that. But there's a truth in that too, isn't it? Who can we trust? So that's what Paul's saying here, as we come to this passage this morning. We're talking about this whole sense of, all right, what's the advice for right living? For those of us who have been with us over this few weeks so far, we've seen Paul in the first three chapters lay out very clearly. Here's some strong philosophical undergirding, theological understanding of who God is for us. Some beautiful pictures of what God has done for us and is doing for us. And now Paul, from these chapters on, starts to talk about, well, what does that mean for you and me? How does that bear it? How does that work its way out in our lives together? And so in this passage, we're looking at this whole sense of right advice. And there's an overarching principle, Paul says here. And the overarching principle is our thinking determines our actions. It's what we think, what, what, what we dwell on, what drives us. That, that will in fact finally be the thing that impacts what you and I do and how we carry ourselves and how we behave and what we say and how we act. What you think matters and that's immediately is the Apostle's influence on this. It, it, it's kind of Paul saying this is a critical factor in all of our lives. Look at some of his words. He says these. He says, uh, futility in their thinking, talking about this group of people who he's re referring to or comparing with, they're hardened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So what Paul's wanting to say is, remember, there are two fundamental life philosophies they're two undergirding systems of belief. One is a belief in God, theism. One is a belief in no God. And they're the two systems. And Paul's reminding these people, what, what, what is the system that you're committed to? What is the system that you believe in? What's your philosophy of life? Now, Paul's saying this in Ephesus. I mean, Ephesus was one of those places in, in the first century which was just powerful in terms of its intellectual rigour. The library in Ephesus today, which still stands, is a remarkable building in terms of the, the technology of that era. And here Paul is saying very clearly and very succinctly, yes, we see all of that. But let me ask you again, what is your undergoing life philosophy? What drives your decisions? What dictates how you live? And he reminds that it's all in the head. Futility in their thinking, their darkness in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You know, it, you hear the echo of Jesus in here, don't you? 
which is no surprise given that Paul was a disciple of Jesus and came remarkably to faith through that, that vision he has of Jesus, where Jesus says, and Matthew records it, you're either with me or you're not with me. Yeah, there, there's a sense in which it's not very nuanced, is it? And in our day and age, man, everything's got to be nuanced so we don't offend anyone. In our, in our year of inclusion and being respectful of everyone, we need to be very careful how we say things. Well, in a sense, Paul and Jesus, very clear. When you, when, you, when you clear it all away, you're either for God or you're not for God. And it's as simple as that, finally. And that's the message that Paul is trying to remind these. Because, see, look what happens. Look what happens when you live outside of God, he says. And he, and he categorises it in that sense of they're darkened and they're understanding, separated from life, ignorant. And you see, all these are intellectual realities. This is about what you're thinking and what you're doing. So what drives what you and I do? Uh, that, that's, that's, in a sense, the underscoring reality of today. And so in the verses that follow, he says that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard, when you were taught in him, in accordance with the truths in Jesus. See, again, this, this is a matter of the mind. This is about rational thinking. This is about hearing what's been said, relating it to our own experience of life, and then living in it. Uh, there, there's a, a simplicity about it which is absolutely profound. Because our thinking derives, uh, drives our behaviour. You see, what's interesting about here, I find it's remarkable. Paul is in these kind of lofty philosophical statements. And now he moves critically, which is just so important, from here to action. And isn't that the test? Uh, we have become quite cynical over the years. Well, some of us have. I know I am. Cynical about what people say. And it grows out of the experience of people saying one thing and never doing it. We're so used now, sadly, to many of our political class. It's, it's not important what you say. Because you're not going to do it anyway. Well, look at the fuss Rio Tinto's got themselves in at this moment now, trying to judge the reality of what they did in Western Australia in decimating those indigenous caves and the artwork that's in them. This sense of, you hear what I'm saying, but it's not what I'm doing. And I think this is the absolute test for all of us. How do we trust the advice? Well, how does that person live? Is there a consistency? Is, is there a, a relationship between what they're saying and what they're actually doing? And so what Paul says here is, let me tell you what should be working. And he, he develops this, as you, you heard it, the put-off, put-on kind of thing. It's common, he does that in Colossians as well. The sense of there's an old lifestyle, which is now gone, so now you've got to be putting on a new way of operating. And so he picks up these areas this morning that I want to just look at. One of the characteristics of new way of living, well, here they are, truthful in communicating. Put off falsehood and speak tr truthfully to your neighbour. In verse 25. Truth, you can trust what I say. No, I'm not lying. <laughs> well, that's what our, Adam Gilchrist said to his father. Adam Gilchrist, the great Australian wicketkeeper batsman, probably our greatest wicketkeeper batsman in the history of Australian cricket. I'm giving that background for people that don't follow cricket much. A significant <laughs> Australian cricketer. He, uh, he's about eight or nine playing chess with his dad. His dad goes out of the room. 
Adam says, I was always very competitive, which is true if you've watched him play. So Dad goes out of the room. So Adam snitches his queen and sticks with all the other, other uh, pawns and bishops that he's taken. Dad comes back in the room, looks at it and says, hang on, where's my king? He said, no, I took it a while ago, remember? He says, no, you didn't. Did I say king, queen it was? Did you took, who's my queen? And so Adam then absolutely, no, I didn't take it. No, you're lying, son. No, I'm not, Dad. No, I'm not. Yes, you are lying. Okay, all right. You're not going to say sorry. You're not going up. All right. Go upstairs, bring down your soccer boots. At this stage of his life, Adam was very keen soccer player. So his father gets out a piece of brown use, brown paper, wraps up the soccer boots, sticks them in the cupboard and said, until you're ready to say sorry, to admit that you lied, you're not going to get those soccer boots. No more soccer. Well, Adam said it took him a little while to finally come to the point where he realised he needed to be honest. And he said to this day, as he's raising his children, there's a piece of brown paper in his kit of discipline as well. A sense of, no, we should be honest. You, can you trust what we're saying? Paul say, well, there, be truthful and community. Then be controlling your emotions in verse 26. In your anger, don't sin. So it says don't anger. He says, just don't let the anger become destructive. Don't let it run on. Be aware. It's a natural response. But be careful how it works its way out. Honesty and work. Do something useful with their own hands. In verse 28, that you can help others. I mean, again, in our contemporary society, there's so much, isn't there, that is just so sad to see. The amount now of sort of e-theft that's occurring. The number of people who are losing life incomes and other things through people who are just absolutely blatantly dishonest. Be honest in work. And then finally, in this passage in verse 29, encouragement and relationships. I love this. This is about how do I help build you up, not tear you down. If you ever watch Question Time in our federal parliament, you recognise it's about how do we tear people down. I mean, I know it's drama, it's sort of theatre, and it's not how they behave to each other once they get outside that chamber. But in that chamber, what a picture it is that we're going to rip people down, tear them down. I mean, we've presently got this United States election going on with a, as much of that as you could stomach in terms of their sense of ripping people down. It's a sad thing, isn't it? No, no, no. What Paul says, no, look, if you know who Jesus is for you and you know how he loves people and you know how he encourages people and builds people up, there's your model. There's your model. And in fact, that is the enduring model. In the, sec in the fifth chapter, verse 1, we have this lovely picture of here's the, we're looking for a role model, looking for a father role model, looking for someone we can trust. What does Paul say? He says, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here's a model for, for you and for me. Now, I know it got a bit trite, but it became, when it was popular, but what would Jesus do? It's still, I think, for me, an undergirding life motive, motto, advice. In this situation, what would Jesus do? Well, here we have the character of Jesus, as Paul summarises. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, it doesn't have to be more complex, does it? Even though it gets complex, doesn't it? What would Jesus do in this situation? But there's, there's at least some undergirding principle 
that I can begin to ask those hard questions about or question my own behaviour about. So what does that mean? Well, as Paul goes on in these next few verses, in verse 3, don't degrade them by your behaviour. Here's this litany of behaviour of sexual immorality and perversion. <laughs> and, and what it's about. Paul says, don't degrade people. Don't degrade them. Uh, you know, we, we don't need to, trans to, to journey very far into this to think about the degradation that goes on in our society. The abuse of children, the exploitation of women. I mean, it's just, it's before us all the time. Slavery in Australia, so often associated with women of Asian backgrounds who are brought to Australia to be used in brothels. Yeah, you know, it's the degradation and the involvement in that in any way leads to that continued degradation, the dehumanisation of people, particularly of women and children. Paul says, do not be associated with it. Recognise it and avoid it. Because we all know, in spite of the, the, the temptation or the implications, we all know how destructive it is. We all know people, some of us know it ourselves, in our own life journey of the destruction that comes. So don't. So relate to them lovingly. Don't degrade them. Rather, he says, live openly, honestly before them. Live as children of the light. <laughs> that's, that's a challenge, isn't it? As I was thinking this, I just think about my driving habits. And, you know, there's that when you're driving up to the central coast, you come up a hill, you've been accelerating up, and then you get to speed cameras. Just fascinating, watch human behaviour. Everyone's, well, a great number of people are doing well in excess of, of the, the speed limit. When we get to the camera, <laughs> we slow down. Because we now there's a sense there's light, kind of light up if we're going faster than we ought to. And I guess for me, yeah, wanting to try and live in the light, even if someone else hasn't had to put the light up to stop me driving in a way which is not safe. You see, Paul says, no, live, live in a way that is evident always. Not in the darkness. Not in a way which, which allows evil to fester or inappropriate behaviour to run or dis disastrous uh, relationships to continue. No, no. So he says finally, so live wisely in these last few verses. Live wisely. Do what God wants. <laughs> uh, therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 17. Well, how do I find the Lord's will? Well, ask. Ask. What would Jesus do? Do I really know what he would do? How well do I read my Gospels? Do I have any sense of the narratives about what Jesus did in the circumstances he finds himself in? There's, there's the ongoing development for us of our minds about how we do that well. Then he says, uh, don't get drunk with wine. You know, for me, it's, this is don't self-medicate. There's a situation recently with a fellow who, yes, had served overseas with the Australian Defence Forces and had came home not well at all, emotionally, mentally. And he's medicating, he's self-medicating with alcohol. Is that going to help the situation? Well, it helps him momentarily. But it just compounds the stuff, doesn't it? And that's the true of any of those addictions. No, don't, don't, he says. Don't do that. Rather... 
Depend on the spirit moment by moment. You need a sustaining life force, not a destructive life force. You need something that's going to build you up and sustain you, not make it harder for you the next day. So depend on the spirit. And the lovely sense of it there is you've got this notion of it's not just once, but it's always. It's like drinking in water. I need to do it. Eight cups a day. <laughs> so the health experts, I need it. Well, I need to be doing the same thing with this sense of, well, Lord, what do I do now? Well, Lord, I need your guidance here. What does that look like for me? And then finally, do it all with gratitude. Make your life sing with thankfulness to the Father. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Gratitude. I mean, I don't know about you, but how often over the last few weeks you say, well, <laughs> at least I'm not in Victoria. Yeah. The sense of recognising, thank you, Lord, for the places we find ourselves in. Thank you for the situation we are in. Thank you that we live in this country, Australia, in this part of this country in Australia. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for grace and goodness, for the freedoms, for the hope that you give me. So what's driving your thinking? Who are you depending on? Where do you get your advice from? What's the underlying uh, philosophy for how you operate, how I operate? They're good questions for us that Paul raises with us today on this Father's Day. And then a lovely way he points us to this, and I want to close with Proverbs 2, chapter 2 and verses 1 to 6. And here's a word from the Father. Proverbs is a wisdom book. It's, it's about wise, how to be wise. My child, learn what I teach you and never forget what I tell you. Listen to what is wise and try to understand it. Yes, beg for knowledge, plead for insight. Look for it as hard as you would for silver or some hidden treasure. If you do so, you'll know what it means to fear the Lord and you'll succeed in learning about God. It is the Lord who gives wisdom. From him comes knowledge and understanding.